I'm Peter Samuelson. Today, we're going to talk about the strange behavior of film stars, my career as the producer of over two dozen films now, and what I've been able to do in society as a serial philanthropic entrepreneur using the same toolkit, but trying to make the world better for seriously ill children, the homeless. And maybe along the way, we'll talk about moral challenges of living in 2021 and how we can chip away at them and make, however modest, an impact, which by lifting up the lives of other people, we lift up our own. Welcome back to part four of our delicious conversation with movie producer Peter Samuelson. He is a yeah, he's a movie producer. That is such a small part of who he is and what he does, although he's been very successful as that. He is also involved in making huge social change and using Hollywood to do that, using the, the things that are available to him through that to... to um, make changes in uh, law, in uh, in the care. Uh, he's, he's started um, foundations with Steven Spielberg. He's been involved with General Norman Schwarzkopf. Um, there's a lot of things that we've talked about in the past three episodes. I don't need to go all through that with you. If you didn't catch the first three, I encourage you to go back and catch the, the first three. Um one of the things that uh, you're now doing is everyone deserves a roof. This is the new foundation that you're building uh, because you and I were talking about in the break, this whole thing with like homelessness, it's, it's a very inconvenient thing. Uh, what I mean by that is if you are not homeless, you might see homelessness as very inconvenient. Those people down the road, you know, are living in tents. Um, I live in Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver, Canada has the highest ratio in North America per capita of drug-addicted homeless people in North America. So, you know, you drive around L.A. or San Francisco and all the rest of it, uh, the work that's being done here with homelessness and addiction, you know, is profound, but it's insane. And so we have these massive parks that are filled with tents, and then they clear out the tents and they get rid of them all and they board up the park and they move to another park. And we keep seeing this transition, but it's not solving any problems. And no, and well, you can't have the tent and you can't be homeless and you can't sleep on the street and you can't sleep in a doorway. So we're actually going to make you invisible. And one of the things, you know, you and I talked about this, not in the show, but in our previous conversation and where I talked about this whole thing around dignity and how sad I am at the loss of dignity that we've become so focused on ourselves that we're willing to take other people's dignity away. And that includes walking down the street and seeing a homeless person and pretending they're invisible. Now, I, always, I say to people all the time, they say, well, what can I do? I'll tell you one thing you can give, even if you have no money. And they go, what's that? I go, give a smile give eye contact, let that person know that you are not seeing them as invisible because now the stats are there, by the way, the research has been done that you can take a person who lives in a normal situation and within 72 hours from going from being a logical human being, they will behave like a cornered rat. They will behave completely out of 
social anxiety that will behave out of complete survival mechanism if you put them into a homeless situation within 72 hours. And many of these people have been living on the street and get a shower once a, once a year. So you have you've decided to confront that and you've even made an investment and an inv you've created your own invention. So talk to us about this because this for me is very powerful and very important. So I think one of the, um, one of the life lessons and I try and when I'm doing my mentoring, I try and really stress this to young people is there are moments in your life where something happens and it is a macro life lesson and you just have to sit for a moment and think about it and, and, and think around this lesson that's been delivered to you. What does it really mean? Should it influence your behavior? So it was for me, I came out of a restaurant and there was a homeless guy, an unhoused guy outside, sort of in my space, you know, with his hand out and, 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 and he was taller than me and um, it was intimidating. And I, you know, begrudgingly took out a couple of dollars and I gave them to him and he didn't think it was enough. And I, I felt badgered. And when I went and got in the car, I sat there and I thought, you know, I'm ashamed of myself. This guy is homeless. God knows where he sleeps at night. And I'm sort of bothered by his existence on the planet anywhere near me. I sort of Wish he had, I would have given more money if he would go right away and leave me alone. And I was ashamed. Mm -hmm. So I thought, right, well, this is not good enough, is it? So I, I always try and do something about things. You know, it's no point just thinking about it and cursing the gathering darkness. Go light a candle. So I, um, I decided I actually don't know homeless people. I will do interviews. So on the weekend, I went on my bicycle and over a few weekends, I, I did 65 interviews with homeless men and women and children. First thing, revelation, I thought they were all men because that's who you mostly see. Wrong. It's about 40% in Los Angeles of our urban homeless are female and 15% are under the age of 18, they're children. So um, I asked them two broad groups of questions. Um, how'd you get money? And um, where do you sleep at night? And another one of these moments of truth, these epiphanies, for me was that I asked an old lady on Santa Monica Boulevard near the 405 freeway. I said, and where do you sleep at night, my dear? And she took me by the sleeve onto the Caltrans land next to, you know, the scrap land next to the freeway. And she said, here is where I sleep. And there was a huge, damp cardboard box. It had been raining. It had a piece of blue plastic over the top. It was disgusting. It smelled bad. And on the side of the box, it said, Sub-Zero. And I thought, okay, this is one of those epiphany moments, right? Mm. I got the refrigerator. This old lady got the box. Right. She goes to sleep at night, what, three, four miles from where I go to sleep at night? 
how can this, you know, this is not right. This is the golden rule is that there should be some kind of social justice. This is so far off the deep end of awful. So my initial thought was, okay, I know how to raise money. I will raise money. We will build a dormitory building and get 100 unhoused people uh, at least off the street. So I got a space planner and an architect and a coster and a budgeter and this and that. And we came up with the fact that to get a piece of land somewhere in L.A., and put up a building with 100 beds and kitted out, not to operate it, but just to make it happen, was about $5 million. And that would generate 100 beds. So that's $50,000 a bed. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, hang on a minute. How many homeless people are there in L.A. County? Ah, when I looked back then a few years ago, 60,000. So I thought, all right. So 50,000 times 60,000, to put a dent in this would take $3 billion. I, you know, I raised lots of money for Filmco and other things and my yeah. charities. Um, I, I have no idea how you raise $3 billion. Uh, we raised $1 billion in Starlight, but it took 40 years. So um, <laughs> no idea. So I thought, all right, well, clearly we will not put a dent in it by building buildings, the city fathers who say, yeah, we're building more dormitory space, you ask them, well, how many will that house? And they say 350. And you say, well, how many unhoused have you got? And they say 80,000. And you think, well, you know, this is not a way out of this nightmare. So never give up is another entrepreneurial lesson. If the doors closed, and it was, go round the back or go in through the window, try and find some other way. So I thought, let's reverse engineer it. I wonder what would be the absolute best that we could do for an unhoused old lady sleeping in a damp cardboard box. Mm. I wonder what we could do, I thought, with $600. It wouldn't be as good as a nice fluffy bed in a building but it might be a whole heck of a lot better than a damp cardboard box on the concrete, right? Mm -hmm. So I tried to design, I had this idea in my head, in the day you should push it around, it should be like a big shopping cart, Costco shopping cart kind of thing. But at night you should somehow unfold it and it should become a seven foot long cot with a mattress off the ground and you'd have to have brakes on the wheels so that it wouldn't roll away and fluorescent so that trucks wouldn't. So I tried to sort of design it in my head and then I tried to design it on paper and I realized I have the design ability of a newt. So I thought, (laughs) well, where do they, you know, another thing film producers do is we don't know how to operate a drone. We hire the drone operators. So I thought, where do they design stuff? And I found this amazing place in Pasadena called the Pasadena Art Center College of Design, where they have several hundred students who are getting degrees in industrial and consumer design, you know, design a refrigerator, design a mixer, design a toaster. So I went and met with Dean Korshek, the dean, and Mm -hmm. I said, if I put up a little prize, could we have a competition for this thing? Doesn't have a name. I said, 
But in the daytime, you push it around, you put your stuff in it, you do your recycling, whatever. And at night, it unfolds into an off the ground because I, I also went to an emergency room and I said, when you have unhoused people who come in here, what do they die of? And they said, almost always pneumonia because they lie on the concrete and it's damp and they get a bug in their throat and they don't get good medical attention and then they get pneumonia and then they die. Average right. life expectancy on the street in the United States. 45 years old, not good enough. So Dean Korshek said, great, let's do it. So we had this amazing competition where I learned new words. The the students um, built one-sixth scale cardboard maquettes. So they built these things. Somewhere in the process, Dean Korshek said to me, what do you want to call it? And I said, I have no idea. What do you want to call it? And he said, well, everyone deserves a roof, right? I said, so that's too long. He said, no, but the acronym E-D-A-R, everyone deserves a roof. I said, sounds like a plan to me. So we had this competition. We gave the prize. Eric Lindemann and Jason Zaza were students back then. I've been working with Eric ever since. We formed a nonprofit. By now, I actually know how to do that efficiently. And edar.org is the website. Um, and we make these things called EDARs and we give them away to homeless people on a scale of 10. I'd be the first to say if a, uh, an apartment is a 10 and a damp cardboard box on a rainy night is a zero, all right, we're a four or a five, but a lot better than a zero. And when the mayor says to me, I don't want these damn EDARs. Uh, I say, well, I'll tell you what, when you make any appreciable dent, when you make any appreciable dent in your 80,000 unhoused people in this city, I promise we will collect up all the EDARs, we will crush them, we will recycle the metal, and we can all join hands and dance in a circle around. Come by our. And sing Kumbaya, but I'm not packing for it because in our lifetime, with a, at least a million unhoused people in the United States and, you know, in ratio in Canada, Australia, UK, in the end, it's the weakest link that determines the strength of the chain. The chain of our civilization, in my humble opinion, the weakest link, who is it? It's your foster kids. It's your seriously ill kids. It's yep. your unhoused people through no fault of their own. You know, this COVID has magnified the number of homeless by an extra 50%. Yes. And, and now it's the single mom who was a waitress, but they closed the restaurant. And now she's unhoused with a little kid. It's stuff like that. You can't wish it away. This, you know, well, we'll use the police to make them leave. Well, where the frig do you think that they're going to go? Um, they'll just go somewhere else. The answer is not EDAR. It's not the only answer. I would love to be put out of business. I would so celebrate the end of EDAR because suddenly there was uh, apartments for Absolutely. our unhoused, urban poor. It's getting worse um, migration, climate change, famine, uh, 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 and the rest of it are going to greatly increase migration. Those people are not going to have apartments to go to, houses to go to. 
they're going to be sleeping on the street. We need to do better. And I think, um, you know, the reason we got the patent on the EDAR is not so that we make lots of money from it. Um, Those of us who designed it, uh, we've donated the patent to the charity. The idea is I kind of would like, and if there's someone out there listening and knows how to do this, I kind of think FEMA should buy a whole lot. They could airdrop them on pallets out of the back of a C-134 cargo plane. I think the Forestry Service ought to buy some and test them out. Uh, I kind of think we could maybe sell them to government at a profit, and then that would give us more money to donate them to unhoused people who obviously don't have two nickels to rub together. They're never going to pay for them. Tons of money comes in. Every time we put them out on the street, they say in great big fluorescent on the side, all four sides, open and closed, edar, edar.org. And, you know, three times a day, somebody drives past and says, oh, that's a really good idea. Let me go on to edar.org, which I hope all your listeners and watchers are now doing. Um, donate some money. Uh, you want to donate 10 EDARs, that's $6,000. You want to donate one, it's $600. Can't afford $600. How about $100 for the wheels? You know, we'll take what we can get. We put it together. We have to give them, obviously, to the unhoused people. I just don't believe if we credit our civilization as being in any way good, in any way desirable, how can we have old ladies and children sleeping under the freeway bridges and in the bushes? I just think it's it's a moral nightmare and I just sort of thought, let's let's do something. Better to light a single candle than curse the gathering darkness. Um, it's going quite well. And I, I, I wish more people would donate and we would buy more of the EDARs and push them out, donate them to the homeless folk. Well, I know uh, it's your latest project. Um, what is the level of awareness around it? Um, have you... Uh, you know, have, I mean, particularly somewhere like, you know, LA or, or San Francisco, has the mainstream media jumped on it or are they? No, we've had, we've had a little bit. CNN, ABC, NBC did little pieces. Um, We need more press coverage. It's very telegenic. Uh, Mm. What I love is taking an EDAR in the back of a pickup truck to a church or a mosque or a synagogue or a temple Um, because it does the world's best show and tell. The kids climb in it and think it's wonderful, and they look out of the windows, and uh, you fold it up, you unfold it, and money flows in donations. It's a 501c3, so it's tax deductible. Take the advice.